Hello, world, and welcome to the Overtone Warp Zone. This podcast is for people who enjoy games, love music, and want to know more about how their favorite songs work. In season one, we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I'm Dan Bergman, and let's get started. Before this episode begins, I have to let you know that this is basically one big Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword spoiler. If you've played the game, or spoilers are no issue for you, listen on. I am one who cannot handle spoilers. I had never personally played Skyward Sword, but my research spoiled it for me. However, for the sake of you listeners... I humbly make this sacrifice on your behalf. Oh, and one more thing. Keep listening till the end of the episode for some exciting Overtone Warp Zone announcements. Enough talk. There are two renditions of the Ballad of the Goddess in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. This song is a recurring theme in Skyward Sword and was composed by Hajime Wakai. The Legend of Zelda timelines have, historically, been a bit of a mess. There are close to two dozen main entries in the series, and they seem to jump through time and space, with characters named Link, Zelda, and Ganon appearing frequently, though not necessarily portraying the same individuals each time. Nintendo released a book called Hyrule Historia alongside the release of Skyward Sword, which provided an official timeline after years of fan speculation. I will now quote from the Zelda timeline found on Gamepedia.com, which further quotes from sources such as in-game dialogue and the physical game manuals. Hyrule was formed many ages ago through the works of the three golden goddesses, Din, the goddess of power, Nehru, the goddess of wisdom, and Ferore, the goddess of courage. Before spirits and life existed, These three goddesses descended upon the chaos that was Hyrule. Din, with her strong flaming arms, cultivated the land, created the Red Earth, and was thus responsible for the creation of the geography of Hyrule, 
Nehru poured her wisdom onto the earth and gave the spirit of law to the world, bringing order to a formerly chaotic realm. Ferore, with her rich soul, created all life forms that would uphold the law established by Nehru. When the labors of the three great goddesses were completed, they departed the world for the heavens. The three goddesses left behind a symbol of their power, the all-powerful relic known as the Triforce, which when mastered in its entirety would grant the heart's desire of its holder. They trusted the ultimate power in the hands of her grace, the goddess Hylia, to protect it. The demon king Demise, wanting to make the world his own, gathered an army of monsters and together launched an attack against the people of the surface, murdering them and causing misfortunes in an attempt to get their hands on the power guarded by Hylia. Hylia gathered the surviving humans on a piece of land and sent it to the heavens, beyond the clouds and out of reach from the evil plaguing the land. In order to keep it from falling into the hands of Demise, Hylia also sent the Triforce to the sky and hid the portals to the three pieces of the Triforce within Sky Keep and enshrined the goddess sword inside the statue of the goddess to be found by a chosen hero when the time was right. Now that the humans were safe, the goddess and the five tribes who lived on the surface joined forces and sealed away demise, restoring peace to the land, although the goddess had suffered grave injuries. That piece of land in the sky came to be known as Skyloft, and its people slowly began to forget their floating city's origins, believing them to be mere myth. Back to Smash Ultimate. The remixed version of The Ballad of the Goddess was arranged by Ryo Nagamatsu, and sounds more like it would fit in a punch-out game. It's got that 80s drama or montage feel to me. Something about the instrumentation of a rock band and the high brass shots. Anyway, this remix debuted in Smash for Wii U. Have a listen.
Skyward Sword begins with Link passing his final night in training exam, just before his childhood friend and love interest, Zelda, is swept away to the earth below in a mysterious tornado. Shortly after, Link obtains the Goddess Sword, proving himself to be the prophesied hero chosen by Hylia to finally destroy Demise. Now, we're going to make the hardest of segues to the musical topic of the episode without any explanation. At least not yet. Today, we'll take a look at... Retrograde! You might be familiar with the concept of retrograde in general, which is when something appears to be directed or to move backwards. For example, retrograde motion in astronomy is when a satellite orbits counter to the rotation of a planet. In music, we typically talk about retrograde in terms of a melody. True retrograde motion is when you take a melodic line and play it from the end to the beginning, keeping all notes, rhythms, and intervals the same. For example, here is the old classic Hot Cross Buns. And here is the retrograde of that melody. Retrograde in music doesn't have to be an exact backward rendition of a piece. It could refer to just the melody or the rhythm of a line being reversed, for example. The use of retrograde goes at least as far back as the 13th century, where a piece of church music called Nusmido took the melody of the liturgical piece Dominus and reversed it in the tenor line. The title Nusmido is itself a syllabic retrograde of Dominus. In fact, many early composers were also poets, and they would ascribe retrograde melodies to texts that reflect a retrograde theme. For example, French composer Guillaume de Machaut composed a piece using retrograde melody called The End Is My Beginning and My Beginning Is My End. That's a pretty retrograde title if you ask me. YouTuber and bassist Adam Neely has a great video on Johann Sebastian Bach's piece, Crab Cannon, from his collection, The Musical Offering, based on a melody given him by Frederick the Great of Prussia. The Crab Cannon is a short piece of music which, instead of ending with a double bar line to signify the end of the piece, it curiously has a time and key signature written backwards, as though through a mirror. It's thought that the piece was meant to be played both forward and backward at the same time, and so one voice part would be the retrograde of the other. It can be very difficult to identify a melody as a retrograde of another, so let's just compare the first and last bars of the music with each other to isolate a section. Here's the first bar, and here's the last bar. Hear how it's the same but in reverse? Composers of this era generally held the view that retrograde motion was a good way to get yourself unstuck if a repetition of a melody in, say, a fugue didn't fit the harmony around it. It was a way to keep the idea of the melody present, even though the motion had been reversed. On the other hand, some composers thought that retrograde purely as an intellectual concept was pretentious and would be lost on the listener, confusing them rather than delighting them with your tricks. Composers of the 20th century got weird and wild with music theory, creating things such as 12-tone matrices, where each of the 12 semitones between two octaves were lined up more or less randomly on a grid and played sequentially to make a melody. Composers would often play these matrices backwards to play the retrograde, 
or upside down to play the inverse, or upside down and backwards to play the inverse retrograde. We won't get into that in this episode. But there is a great concept from composer Arnold Schoenberg in the year 1923, who's credited with the best-known version of the 12-tone technique. He talked about the equivalence of melodic and harmonic presentation as a unity of musical space. Taking the example of a hat, Schoenberg explained that the hat remains the same no matter if it's observed from below or above or from one side or another. Similarly, permutations such as inversion, retrograde, and retrograde inversion are a way to alter musical space. One more interesting thing to think about is that there are some melodies that can't be played in retrograde simply because they are musical palindromes. In language, for example, the name Anna spelled backwards is still Anna. In music, the melody C, D, E, F, E, D, C, played backwards, is still C, D, E, F, E, D, C. We talked earlier about how the most exact version of retrograde reverses the melody, the rhythm, and all other components of the music. To get very technical about this, there's an even truer version of retrograde. Consider that the sound envelope should be reversed as well. For example, most instruments typically have a strong attack, and the sound decays from there. The truest version of retrograde would be to start with a slow, gradually increasing attack with a loud, quick decay at the end. This is near impossible to play on an acoustic instrument, but is easy to do perfectly by electronically playing a song in reverse. So, I promise I haven't forgotten this episode is also about our Zelda song, Ballad of the Goddess. What happens when we play this song in reverse? Let's listen. is crazy. Played in retrograde, this is a near-perfect rendition of Koji Kondo's Zelda's Lullaby, which is the main theme for Zelda throughout the entire franchise. Hajime Wakai, composer of The Ballad of the Goddess, has given us a massive spoiler by encoding this theme here because Zelda is later revealed in Skyward Sword to be the goddess Hylia, incarnated in mortal form. Eventually she learns this about herself and discloses it to Link and that she must enter a magical sleep in order to keep Demise imprisoned within his seal. This is Hajime Wakai's rendition of Zelda's lullaby, which plays for the first time in the game just before Zelda returns to her sleep.
Does anyone else think it's incredible that the theme in its lullaby form is played right before Zelda has to sleep? Retrograde was the perfect way to imbue the essence of Zelda into the Ballad of the Goddess. It's just enough of an easter egg that the connection is undeniable, but it's also near impossible to discover unless you actually play the song backward. As a type of variation, Retrograde is very difficult to pick out, which is why early composers believed when it was used improperly was just a form of self-indulgent intellectualism. There may have been other hints that Zelda was the goddess Hylia throughout Skyward Sword, but possibly none are as special as this one. I wonder what other secrets you could uncover by playing other video game tunes in Retrograde. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast or suggestions of a song or music topic. Leaving a rating or review on your podcasting platform is a great way to share that with me and helps Overtone Warp Zone gain some exposure. You can also email me at overtonewarpzone at gmail.com and you can stay updated on podcast news by following me on social media everywhere at OTWZ Podcast. And now, some exciting news. I was recently featured as a guest on the premiere episode of the podcast, The Wayfarer's Guide to World Building, hosted by Mythos and Inc. The podcast is a tool to help writers, dungeon masters, and creatives build better worlds. Each episode explores one facet of world building, and with the help of an expert, gives practical advice on how to make these elements realistic. I'm honored to be their music expert, and in episode one, we write the lyrics of a song of creation together. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available, and the song we wrote together can be listened to on my SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgaliciousdeath. Overtone Warp Zone now has a Twitch account! I'm dreaming of the potential of what this could be. I'm certainly hoping to stream some gameplay of games I'm into, possibly play some games with you all, and maybe even stream the production of some episodes or further breaking down the concepts we discuss in the podcast. Who knows? To stay up to date on when and what I will be streaming, as I plan to do so infrequently, follow me on social media and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Overtone Warp Zone. And lastly, Overtone Warp Zone now has a Patreon! I would love to be able to provide you with deeper and more consistent content, and possibly branch out to other forms of content creation as well. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast and want to give your support, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash overtone warp zone. There's a lot of links I just threw at you, but you can find them all in today's show notes. That's it for the episode. Thank you for your listenership. Until next time, keep playing. Right now, it's moments before this episode's about to get published, and I just learned about one more example of retrograde in Smash Ultimate. Yu Sugimoto, who composed the Final Destination theme for Smash Ultimate, has a musical palindrome going on in that song using the main lifelight theme. 
you can hear it very clearly played forward at the beginning of the song. And the beginning of the second half of the song sounds like this. seems like a new original melody, but here it is played in retrograde. Those sneaky composers.